0: Hi guys, it's Dominic from the MS Guide doing another podcast, and today I'm joined by Professor Bart. I'm not even going to attempt to say his surname, which I'll allow him to do. It's Belgian, but I'm just going to turn it over because, Professor Bart, you're an MS specialist, aren't you?
1: Yes, my name is Bart van Weemers, which is a very difficult name, uh, uh, as you said, Dominic. Yes, I'm an MS specialist, a neurologist, neuroimmunologist, we a PhD in immunology I'm working in Belgium in the University MS Center, which is in the northeast part of Belgium, where you have the University of Hasselt, and we have a combination of a dedicated MS Center with also a lot of rehabilitation in there, wow. and yeah. which is combined with with fundamental research into rehabilitation, immunology, clinical research, etc. So it's it's quite broad. It's really fun.
0: Right, that's great. Do you do you see a lot of patients on? A, I mean, do you have a big clinical commitment as well as research?
1: Yes, yes. I mean, let's say eighty to ninety percent of my time, I'm seeing patients. So, let's say right. at a weekly basis, uh, let's say thirty patients a week, uh, and right. I try to take enough time, so about forty five minutes to an hour for each patient. So that means it's a lot of time in a week. And, if you're uh,
0: listening in the UK, you're going to be astounded by that. no, but...
1: <laughs> so it's an exception as well in Belgium um, mm-hmm. terms. But uh, we managed to to organize our team that we are and my colleagues uh, are are taking about forty five minutes to an hour for each patient, and uh, right. so so yeah, a, a big big clinical uh, job. Yes.
0: Wow. Yeah. And my my favorite phrase ever about MS is one of your colleagues, Martin Deville who said uh, MS is like your shadow. You know, the aim is to keep it behind you at all times. And if it starts to come around and you're starting to see it, then then that's when you need as a patient to intervene. But I thought it was brilliant because I don't want it to be part of my everyday life, all day, every day, if I can avoid it. So it's just a great analogy. Guys, I got Mm -hmm. Professor Barton to talk about something which I think, and if you've heard some of my other stuff, you might know, I think it's the holy grail of MS in the sense that the forward-looking stuff into the future, what's going to happen to me? How's it going to go? Because I think with the development of things like AI intervention in technologies and stuff, and in fact, there's a Belgian firm I know called Icometrics, you know, who are doing a lot, but other firms as well. And it's for you clinicians to be able to say, look, Dominic, your MS is probably about here, and you can probably expect it to go from here to here to here over this time period, which right now is impossible because you were writing something about um, evoked potentials, which is one of the ways of sort of, shall we say, testing where you are, like an EDSS, but it's not. It is that fair. And then I saw you're supervising a PhD for somebody who's looking at a multimodal, so many different ways. Prognostication tool. So, again, looking into the future, should we say? And I was hoping, I kind of changed my mind where I wanted the interview to go when I read this. And I was hoping you could tell us a bit about where we are now and what you think is going to be doable. What's reasonable for a patient to expect? If I'm diagnosed today, what can you say to me now? And if I'm diagnosed in five years, what do you think you'll be able to say regarding? Dominic, you got it bad, or you got it lightly, or whatever.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's a to start. I think it's a very important question. I mean, individual prognostication uh, as individual as possible um, is very important. Not only to just tell you you got it bad and so you 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 better brace yourself or something, but um, but it's it's very important to guide your treatment decisions. Uh, And as you know. For me, MS is like extinguishing a fire. Treating MS is like extinguishing a fire. You have to know what the fire looks like. And then you want to know, should I use a bucket of water or should I call the fire department here? And that will change a lot because you can, if you start in the wrong way, your your shadow will be in front of you rather than behind you, like you said. And so I think that's very important to have a very good start with that. Now, I think at this point, we can already do a lot. But unfortunately, not everybody's using um, everything you can have looking at one patient. at When when you say not everybody,
0: you mean on the clinician side?
1: Yes, on the clinician side, I think we can do a lot more. I mean, there's a lot of differences between different neurologists and habits or beliefs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or or maybe a little bit of lack of knowledge, but that's the first thing we did um was publish a paper where we just listed make make a list of prognostic factors on an individual basis which are now really usable in the clinic. So it looks about it it says something about demographics, what's your age, what's your um gender, um and about a little bit about your clinics. Did it start with sensory or what did it start severely or etc but also looking at mri which is mm-hmm. basic stuff like how many black holes do you have how many lesions do you have do you have uh infratentorial or spinal cord lesions which are very important uh prognostication wise
0: bar but- i heard somebody say i don't e- i don't ever image the spine what's the point and i thought Hang on, it's connected to the brain. <laughs> it's just um, you know, the head goes about halfway down, and they were, yeah, they is, were very dogmatic. Really,
1: no, that's really problematic. Um, you, there is there is a bit discussion, but they will change the guidelines in in time, I think. But there is a bit discussion about following up MRI of spinal cord, but I think you should do it, and certainly you should do it at diagnosis and to have prognosis because yeah. but also uh, the first years because it has been shown that when you have a new lesion in your spinal cord that the odds ratio goes up sky high for eventually ending in progression rather than not having that and that's and and also new lesions so it's very important if you never scan the spinal cord you can never say that and it has a very big weight on prognostication but
0: do you know what it is i think it's that childhood thing if i go la 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 and pretend it's not there then it's not an issue it's bizarre it's bizarre but it's very important
1: because i will treat a patient it's about you have two patients in front of you as a neurologist or and Two young females, beautiful females, I always um and, and 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 they're they don't have a lot of complaints. But the, the to by the one I will say you have mild MS and the other I will be very worried and say this is bad, we have to treat you very aggressively because it's very bad. And that will depend on for example how many lesions and spinal cord lesions there are present, yes or no, whether they can not feel it. And also um and then you have another a lot of now demographics and mri i think every neurologist knows that maybe they don't don't use spinal cord they should but but then you have on top of that you can do cognitive assessments which is important if they have already cognitive complaints is as a bad mm-hmm. prognosis then you can also do electrophysiology and to come on to that i think that the biggest value that there is today in evoked potentials is in prognostication.
0: So tell everyone what an evoked if I'm a patient yeah. and i you yeah. know I'm newly diagnosed, what a what are or is, I don't know the right word, evoked potentials. I mean it, it sounds yeah. like you're prodding my is this when you drag your thing up my foot to see if my toes curl over
1: <laughs> No. No, it's 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 actually um, it's like an electrician that is measuring an electric current throughout a wire. Yeah. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. So, so you're so, testing how good it is through my sort of nervous system yeah, yeah, from A then, to B. So
1: you can. So if I I evoke a potential, a potential is how many volts are there, or many yeah. how how much current is there, and you evoke it, and then it goes sensory, um, auditory, visual, and motor. Mm-hmm. So, for example, motor-evoked potentials. Then you have a magnetic pulse on your brain on the place where um, your hand function is, for example, motorically, mm-hmm. or your foot. And then you elicit a magnetic pulse, which then um, makes that the, the neurons are yeah char- are are they um, polarizing, so they are charging mm-hmm. off, so they're giving current. And then at the muscle, for example, the hand muscle or the foot muscle. You pick up that signal, and then you can say this is a correct normal signal with the the the, the latency that it has. So the, the, mm-hmm. the, the,
0: the so the time it takes to get from point A it, to point B. Yes.
1: Yeah, how fast it is there, and if the if if there's a normal form of that potential, if that, and so that means when I give one pulse, it has to come out at one pulse as fast as it can, and if it goes slower or if it's if it's hindered, then it will be uh polyphasic for example, yeah, mm-hmm. it will disturb the,
0: the So do you the have one of those little scopes with the sort of waveforms on it so you can see yeah. yeah. I can
1: see that what that is. So that's for motor. You can do that also for sensory. For example you give electrical pulse on your on your wrists or on your ankles and then not
0: hurt do they? I mean you No don't... no not at all. No, no, not no, at no. all. Yeah.
1: No. And then you pick it up with electrodes on the skull. Mm -hmm. And then you can say, okay, how fast is that signal passing through my spinal cord to my brain where it has to be interpreted through the the cortex? And there Mm -hmm. I pick it up and then I can see if that signal passes normally, yes or no. Also for vision, I will let you look at the screen and then I will occipitally here on the back of the brain, I will... Pick that up and brainstorm auditories with, with with clicks on your with the headphones on and you, then you so you have different I've had neurologists do this
0: to me you know, we, uh, you know when the, we, which is I think an old fashioned version we say. Yeah. so it's a
1: it's a way of and the most important thing of evoked potentials is that they are able to detect uh, changes that are clinically not apparent right so this 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 girl. These two mm-hmm. females, um, the one might have completely normal evoked potentials, have a normal walk, normal force mm-hmm. in, in hands, and the other might have normal walk, normal force in the hands. Saying I'm I'm on a computer every day, and then I measure these motor evoked potentials, and I say, oh my god, they're really disturbed. But you're compensating. Our brain yeah. has a lot of reserves, so you're compensating for that. So
0: plasticity means you're getting yeah. around it.
1: Yeah. But if you measure it, you say like, "Oh my God, you lost a lot of your brain reserve, but it's not clinically apparent, but it's there, so that will tell you that the prognosis is much worse because there's already a lot of more subclinical damage, so right. you're yeah you're about to lose your brain reserve is already lost a lot, so you're about to to have yeah more more symptoms and,
0: and how frequently as a as a Doctors and a neurologist seeing an ms patient how frequently do you need to do it in order to be able to assess oh the way the, that patient is going is it six monthly is it annually is so it it's,
1: it's annually let's say mm-hmm. because the most power is there in the first what you measure in the first time then you can see it 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 kind of takes a look beyond the surface yeah you you look mm-hmm blow that surface and you say oh my god i see a lot of more damage than i expected or it's just the other way around it's all mm-hmm. good and that will change your prognosis also there are g- very good studies about that predicting 10 to 20 years down the road what the edss how right. that correlates with the first
0: so uh, the so edss the ORAC, the familiar, sorry sorry about that. the edss that we're all familiar with yeah is should to me that's a sort of slightly crude measure of external things you know um but this is should we say i'm I'm being it's a bit sci-fi in the sense it's getting inside you Mm -hmm. and it's seeing things that mri can't because there's so much discussion i mean patients are aware of it about whether you call it smoldering ms or progression independent of relapse activity or things like that but essentially and i was having this conversation with a friend the other day she said they're telling me there's no change, and I'm telling them that there is a change, and she can feel it, and it's um various things, and it really, yeah. I'm trying to put this politely, pisses her off that she's having to try and convince the doctors. You know, it's like, why would I make this up? No, you now it's, it, it's,
1: it's you know, it's, but it, but yeah.
0: it, and and they're going, well, we see nothing, therefore there can't be anything, therefore we can't do anything with your drugs, and which is really awful, dogmatic kind of. No. Yes, and and also
1: you you, it, I mean that is that is a big limitation, and and um, we know that uh even evoke potentials you can they they are a good combination. Like an MRI, hmm. you can see structural changes. Like evoke potentials, these are functional changes.
0: How the, how does this work here? This electrop- would they direct where you're looking with the MRI? If you did the evoke potentials first and saw an issue in a certain area. Could that, say, I mean, I'm obviously an amateur, it could, be that you a, don't, could that then say you would then go, I really want to focus double down on this area with the MRI because I think there might be something here.
1: Yeah, you could do, but uh, sometimes you don't see that on an MRI, right. but you know there is a change. For example, an optic, uh, an optic nerve, you can sometimes see there is a, a complete, um, a, a, a slower conduction time.
0: Yeah, that, is that means through OCT, or am I mixing up my no
1: OCT my, is another thing, retinal thickness. this visual evoked potential. Then you right. measure the optic nerve. I see. Like okay, heat of the current of that, um, yeah, image that you're processing, and it's mostly done by the optic nerve. Now, say that you have a demyelination and a remyelination, but then there is all still a loss of 10 milliseconds, which is a lot. And then you can say, well, I can see that you had an optic neuritis once, not by mm. the OCT, but by the visual evoked potential. Right. Uh, but she might, she or he might not have any symptoms of that ever. And on an MRI, you cannot see that because it's remyelinated and it's not that powerful to see that. So right. this is just an example to say they are looking at different things. And sometimes they, you can see a lesion. And you can correlate that with certain mm-hmm. measurements, but sometimes it's not there and you can pick it up on MRI and not on evoke potentials or the other way around. So it's really right. Um, It's like saying, for example, um, yeah, even if you go further on neurofilament light levels, for example, it's also a biomarker of destruction mm. of neurons. Sure. Um, and so if you all take all these things together, if you take, demographics, MRI, evoke potentials, other biomarker that you at this time today are available in the clinic, Mm -hmm. then you can kind of make a score on that. You can say for every abnormality, I will give a check or I will give a point. And the more points you get, the more checks you get, the worse your prognosis is. Or you can say by each uh, MRI you see, like, like, say, when you have more than 10 lesions, you have a bad worse prognosis versus less than four, etc. Mm-hmm. And so evoke potentials, the more abnormalities you have. If you have three abnormal evoke potentials, yeah, your prognosis is worse than if you only have one or normal. Right. And if you all take that all into account, you can really say you have a mild MS, you have a moderate MS, or you have a severe MS. And it's more than just saying this is a highly active MS because that's something mm. different. Yeah, Highly active means inflammatory activity. That means like new lesions and relapses. But, but they may not be have...
0: causing you that many issues, might they? You know, if you may have a ton of lesions, but it may not actually translate, or you can have one, which is a real problem child.
1: Yes, that's true. So it doesn't say things, but it doesn't also say a lot about prognosis because, okay, people that are highly active disease probably have a worse prognosis. Mm. But it's more the other way around. People that have had a quite subclinical disease and lost a lot of brain reserve, and then you you diagnose MS, and then you see, my God, they had a lot of subclinical activity before. We didn't discover that, but he was compensating. Then you know that the time towards ending up into progressive MS is much shorter than somebody has all his brain reserve already still preserved. So that will put them on the line where, where you are today in this right. yeah, evolution of MS towards progressive MS or not. And, and that will change how you treat somebody.
0: See, Professor, this, about... this is where it comes down to for me is, you know, I've had MS a long time to the point where people ask my advice and I'm like, well, you just, it's different for everybody. I can't. And, but my, if I take a more meta view, medicating to me is like you are because we don't know what's going to happen. I think it would be mad not to over insure, so to speak. So yeah. it's um, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and this whole thing about hit it hard, hit it early. So whether you went in with alum tos mabracia CT or, or or another IRT, but I think it's you're playing with fire if you're just going to start with a low or medium efficacy drug but if you could say with a huge degree of certainty then there may be no need to go in with alimtuzumab with a 4 in 10 chance of thyroid disorder I mean no. for example you know, yeah, uh, yeah, no,
1: that's exactly where I'm at I'm, <clears throat> I'm, I'm saying you have to hit it hard but <clears throat> certainly take out the right patients for the right, that right drug yeah. and then you will see good results with enough safety um and 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 I think that's very important and and then, if you have that baseline assessment with multimodal approach like you said eh, with different all mm. different types with MRI clinically, what we also do is, is doing some walking tests, doing some cognitive tests, doing uh, neurofilament light, doing evoked potentials MRI. And we do that once a year and just repeat that every year. You can say, okay, has this changed? Yes or no, in any level. And then Mm. even if then everything is okay, but the patient is saying, I'm getting worse, probably you will pick it up in some other test.
0: Yeah. But sometimes
1: not. And then it's about, yeah. Talking and having having yeah, listening to your patient, let's say, and 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 at a certain time port there's convincement. But mostly you can pick that up and then say, Okay, I have to change treatment here, yes or no. And that's uh, why but- I
0: likened it to insurance, because you know, if you, you're driving your car, there's so many other factors that you just can't factor in. But if if you could start to say, Well, actually we can remove some of them and remove some of them, then you may not have to spend so much on insurance, say. But, no, but yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean yeah. I, I I'm personally I'm of the view. I mean, I'm I've had my fifth DMT because it's Alam you know, it's going to take me into my sunset years. But yeah. it's I just to me I can't risk not doing it. I might not need it. I mean, I may never have needed it. You could dissect my brain when I die and say, well, he probably went over the top, but there's no way of telling as far no, as I'm that's, that's
1: true and the most difficult uh time point of saying what should i do that, that is that that um once you're in close to progression or into progressive ms like this smoldering diseases which is yeah. inside the brain it is we are failing to uh vision that okay we're getting there with new MRI techniques and and Hmm. new PET scans, which are showing that really it is smoldering inside there. And if we see that, then of course you want to have drugs that are really powerful enough to do that. But you can't put the genie back in the bottle. The damage is done and if damage
0: happens, damage happens.
1: And if you could do that early on as well, where you say, I can treat the patient here. For example, this has a patient with a worse prognosis or the other way with a mild prognosis. But at one year or I do an assessment and at one year, and then I see with new techniques, I see some evidence of smoldering disease already. Even Hmm. in that mild patient, then I will be worried and change treatment. But that is something that today with classical MRIs, with every multimodal approach that we have is not really always detectable. The more you measure and the the more multimodal you measure with different clinical and and other tests, the more the chance is higher that you pick it up. But still, Hmm. it is not really a microscope, you know? But I'm thinking about
0: also from our point of view, things. the second I got my MS diagnosis, insurance is out of the question you know you're never going to buy yeah. critical illness insurance for example um but it would be nice if you had the sufficient we say clinical power to say you know yes you can have insurance but you can't have it for this and this but it doesn't mean it's out of the question for liver cancer or um something like that but right now everything is just you know it, it's binary you know you yeah. have ms and and, and then you say, Well, what's it gonna be like? And the doctor, as I, you know, we were chatting before, goes, I don't know. I mean, I went off thirty one years ago and started drawing designs for a wheelchair on the back of a napkin, thinking, At least I'll have a cool one. But yeah. and but I've never ended up there. Yet I've got a friend Mark Webb who's, you know, super pubic catheter, wheelchair, etc. And and you think, you know, no one knows how it's gonna go.
1: No, no, it's true. It's true. You you don't, in the end, you don't exactly know, but it's, I always no. compare it with smoking. If somebody says like, well, yeah, but it's, it's, you never know. Some patients start very highly active and then they go. And then in the end, it's all well. Then you say, yeah, well, that's like with smoking saying, um, yeah, but I know a guy who smokes all his life and he doesn't have any problem. He doesn't have any problem. And exception 70. proves the
0: rule in you know, front yeah. of my masters with stuff like this you know it's just like no
1: <laughs> if, if you have these exceptions that that confirm that the most the most that it is an exception so no doctor will ever say oh it's okay to smoke because probably you will be the one that it will not yes. end up badly and that's just the other way around with MS no no it is if you are in a category that you have a bad prognosis, you have the highest probability of following that category and having a a bad evolution. So that's why you take the chance of having a highly active drug with some risks
0: on it. But it speaks to human emotion because if we remove all the clinical stuff, you buy a lottery ticket, it's 13 million to one. You know, yeah, in the UK. And I say to people, you're not buying the chance to win the lottery. You're purchasing the chance, which I think is entirely legitimate, to dream about what you do with all the money. But if you actually think, if you're if you're holding on to, shall we say, your financial situation being changed at thirteen million to one, you don't understand other risks in life. And and, and and yeah. the effect yeah. they, they stand to have on you. But it's it's a human thing. You want you don't buy a lottery ticket Thinking it's definite that you're going to lose. It's like you don't have a cigarette. Thinking you know, oh yeah, my grandmother lived to 102 and smoked 20 a day, and it's like, yeah, but but your granny's not the norm.
1: No, that's true. And you and, know, and, and
0: so this is. I find this troubling with drugs because I talk to people yeah. and they go, "I don't want to take that. It's got horrendous side effects." And you're thinking, yeah, it doesn't actually. And when you balance that against what you stand to lose if you that's don't, it, it, it's it's very. It's a twenty year discussion. I don't know if you've got kids. I got a twenty one year old daughter and she can't conceive of being forty one. It's just an impossible reality. So it's very hard to engage and say what yeah. do you think will happen but when you're forty?
1: I, I have I have the experience, Dominic, that that uh and I think that's a very important psychological factor in under treatment, for example, of patients. Mm. Because doctors They want to give good news. Patients want to receive good news. Mm -hmm. And if you're saying like, I see a young person with not a lot of disability at this point, well recovered, quite well. And if I don't do this multimodal approach of looking very objectively at this patient, I might also think, what can possibly happen to this 20-year-old girl that makes her having a wheelchair when she's 40, let's say.
0: Go and live your life. Go and have fun is one Go of the and classic have fun. lines. This
1: is a mess. It will be okay. And you underestimate the disease because you didn't look too close. And if you are saying that, you're, you don't have time enough to really explain it. So you have to take time. And then you have to be honest. Do you know what it's called
0: honesty when this happens? Is, Do you honesty, know the name for it
1: yeah. when it happens? Hyperbolic discounting. But but uh-huh. but being honest will not take away the hope of that patient. It's it just should. reality. Yeah. And if you have that honest discussion and say, look, these are your factors and this is why you have a worse prognosis. So this is why we are aiming for these types of drugs, which have some mm. side effects and drugs. I never encountered a patient who then says, doctor, I don't want that. No, they say, Oh my God, is that really so? Okay, we have to go for it and let's talk about these factors and then they listen and then they know. And we don't take hopes away. It's the same thing like you're under a treatment and there's a new lesion on MRI. It's It's just by hazard that you didn't feel that, for example, but it's as prognostically, it's as important as having a relapse. Now, if you had Hmm. a relapse, you say, "Oh my God, I had a relapse. I want to change treatment." If you had a new lesion, you're not saying like, "Oh my God, I had a new lesion."
0: Yes, I've had that more than once. You've got a lesion, but don't worry about it because it's not affecting you. And you're thinking, "Oh, okay." You know, I mean, what can you do as a patient? You are the that is that is, and that's what that's old school
1: MS, let's say. And we have to get slave to the master
0: though as a patient. You're the doctor. On the patient, anything you say I mean for ninety nine percent of people it's anything you say is the god's honest truth, and no, but then you encounter again the same thing, like you're a doctor
1: and you're looking at the patient and he's she's she's fine or he or she's is very fine, there's no problem, you see a new lesion, it's not that bad lesion, and you're thinking about, yeah, if I want to change that treatment now, I have to talk half an hour, and I only have ten mm-hmm. minutes and she's doing fine, and maybe it's not that bad. So I want to give good news. She wants to get good news. Hey, see you in six months. <laughs> and then and then you you get off under treatment, very bad treatment, and this is something you know we will not catch up with, because that can be the start of smoldering MS.
0: That's the psychological bias on both sides, wanting to get good news. And wanting to deliver good news, yeah, and not, you know, and so. But I think in the sort of, should we say, the power dynamic of that relationship, the person in your shoes, frankly, should be able to see and look past, should we say, the fact, you know, yeah. and understand that they have. I mean, it is hyperbolic discounting; it's going for the short-term pleasure yeah. and discounting the long-term damage that will be done by achieving the short-term pleasure, and. Right. I mean, I did a video about this and I thought, you know, it's just, it's, I've done a lot of the behavioral science stuff, but you think these are soft issues that are coming into because it's about human interaction. You know, the best Mm -hmm. response from IMS over time is if we have a good relationship and you, you being the doctor generally, you know, when I'm diagnosed, see me through it, not pat me on the back and go there, there, go live your life. You're an active young lad, off you go.
1: Yeah, and I think, for example, one of the ways to to try and change that is, of course, there's education about it, talking mm-hmm. about it, and empowering the patient. But the next level will be um, data science, uh, artificial intelligence, maybe, but a lot yeah. of data science. And we're, for example, in this PhD with prognostication. Mm-hmm. Apart from saying we want to have a scoring system that we will try and to validate on a group level of patients to try and see whether that prediction here is doing it right.
0: Mm-hmm. What
1: you eventually want is that the doctor is not saying, mm, in my experience, and I think this and that, that data is saying that. For example, you upload your demographics, you upload your mm. MRI, and you're not counting scans, but there's a... A computer model that is reading the scan and saying, Okay, I can get much more uh, features out of there that are linked to prognosis. You do that also for electrophysiology we also we did that, and you can extract a lot of more data out of that curve and when you do that on every multimodal level, this uh yeah, this computer model, let's say or this this data maybe can be compared with a big, big database all over the world and saying, okay, you have got this profile and we are comparing you with 50,000 other MS patients and we see that Hmm. you fit in this profile. And most patients in that profile do very well on this type of treatment and have this type of evolution. So Hmm. I think this would be the best treatment strategy for you. And then you're saying, okay... This has nothing to do with I want to deliver good news. This is just science.
0: Yeah, yeah. And And it's Arnana Shaggy in London, a researcher on AI and MRI. And he was telling me, trained it, and and they're looking at very specific things, but essentially he trained it with 20,000 patients worth. and you just simply you me anybody can't assimilate that amount of data you know we're tired we need coffee we need to do other things we need to the machine just goes jr 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 at it and you know i mean that's that's the benefit and you know ai i was um there's a trial in london called the system s which is getting off the ground it's actually looking at ai the ichometric stuff too Mm -hmm. um see what effect it has on neuroradiologists' time in reporting yeah. and the accuracy as well and how that affects the, um, the MDT, the treatment team decisions. Oh, yeah. But the fact is it can see the AI can spot a one-millimeter change in the lesion that perhaps the neuroradiologist, because we're people you yeah, know we're no, humans no, we're, we're looking see, at stuff yeah. we have a measuring device and stuff yet the machines just being the machine and being better at it its wife didn't leave this morning the dog wasn't <laughs> run down you know it's not no, tired no, it's, it's yeah. whatever it just is
1: no i think the role for a, a doctor or neurologist in this case in, in, in treating a mess if we have more data and artificial intelligence this and that we get it together and then it's only thing we have to bring in the human part of explaining that, of being yeah. there, of explaining the science in a, a fashion that the patient is able to 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 comprehend that, and then say okay, um, and then controlling because sometimes there are mistakes, but these are mistakes that the human will not make because mm. they will they will. See, this is not a lesion, but this is just a, a tumor there. So it's yeah. something completely <laughs> just different. Just a tumor. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not just a tumor, but yeah, this is some. This is something real. They can misinterpret something. Yeah. So that's the, the radiologist is the the one that checks whether the computer didn't make hmm. a mistake. Not that it's not accurate, but some things they cannot see. Hey, my and dad was a pilot his whole career.
0: My, I'm My sorry? dad was a pilot his whole career. He said, you know, it gets to the point now where autopilots can do almost everything from takeoff to yeah. flight and he said, But you really gotta be there for when it's um has a sulk, you know, yeah. or or uh, uh, or isn't you know, things change and this is where you need somebody who's flown for ten thousand hours to say, I actually think we're gonna do it like this and they're gonna put their hands on the control, turn off the yeah, autopilot that's and it.
1: you you're you're there for for just checking that the system works like it needs to work, and that that mm. is not an exception. And yeah. um, but and and to translate that to the patient, and then making that decision. But the 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 basis of that decision, the basis of the information you are giving your patient, is not the day to day feeling of your neurologist, but is hard data science. And I think that. Is very important in terms of prognostication. But again, I think for today, we can already do a lot, a lot more than most neurologists are doing now.
0: Yeah. By doing I, I think multimodal- this is the frustrating, disappointing thing from a patient point of view is, yeah. you know, I speak to people like you and your your leaders and stuff, but there seems to be within the field of MS neurology in some parts, and I say, there's some brilliant people but there's some neurological deserts you know mm. i'm just baffled as a patient as to why these neurologists are not sort of grasping for all this stuff it's very much the whole armchair profession referrals to me um i never see patients or i never used to see patients this whole bizarre mentality exists you know it's like you're getting in the way of me going golfing and um you know and, and that's i know it's a silly trope but some people just aren't doing this, and it's the patients that suffer, not the doctor.
1: That is true, and that's that's probably the reason why they're not really changing that. Or, or and and I. I it, and why they're not
0: they're the humans, big learning they're humans, center.
1: So they're humans, so you need you need a lot of there is a lot of psychology. As I said, you want to bring good news, you want to give good news, mm. but then and it's oh how are you feeling? It's so difficult but um yeah
0: i gotta stop myself from ranting i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) hey bart i really appreciate you giving up your time today i mean we could go on and on about this it's one of these sort of almost bottomless pits of discussions isn't it but it's uh i'm extremely grateful for you coming on and sharing this because it's patients who watch this channel and it's generally and it's people want to find out they think I'm some sort of um, interpreter. <laughs> but it's just that, you know, they want to find out what's going on for them. And also, I think, hopefully, empower people to have better conversations with their medics because yeah. they understand what's out there as well as what they may be getting. You know, no, I a, think that is, a yeah, that, so, that's really clue cool thing. I, I just want to say thanks and wrap this up. Right. And what I'm going to do is, I'll turn off the recording and then speak to you briefly, but it's uh, because I can edit that out, but it's, uh, I'm going to turn it off. So, Bart, thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you, Dominic. That's nice.